Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, the podcast. That would be the last quarter of the season in NFL parlance, according to Key. And, of course, those are the words of Tom Brady you heard. It's Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We're coming to you live from the Seaport District at Pier 17, brought to you by Chase. Our poll question this morning on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, simple. Are the Bucks going to make the playoffs? Mm. Can you believe we're asking that? During week one of the season, sure, they got housed by the Saints. Then they won three in a row. Eventually, they were 7-3. and three. They housed Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Oh, no big deal. Maybe they're not a Super Bowl team this year, but come on. Making the playoffs, they'll make the playoffs. The question this morning, will they or won't they? We'd love to hear your thoughts. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776, or on Twitter at KeyJ. And Z, all of our guests this morning on the Shell Pennzoil performance line. Lou Riddick from Monday Night Football will be here at 930. Fellas, at the beginning of the season, the question was simply this. Is it, you know, possible that both Belichick and Brady make the playoffs? Sure, why not? Maybe Cam gets rejuvenated. The Super Bowl, Super Bowl 55 is in Tampa. Could you actually think about Brady and Belichick in the Super Bowl in Tampa? Eh, sure, why not? Long shot, but why not? Maybe one of them makes it and the other one doesn't. And I think most people thought if one of them makes it and the other one doesn't, it would be Brady making it and the Pats not making it. We never considered the third possibility that both of them could perhaps miss it. Right now, the Bucks are on the inside just on the inside. They're the sixth seed and the seven-team race in the NFC. The Pats are obviously on the outside looking in key. You know, Z, I didn't start thinking about that until last week's uh, loss to the Rams. I didn't start to think because I looked at the schedule and I said, okay, the Rams just shellacked them. Now they got Kansas City coming to town. And, you know, Kansas City's not going to let up because they're trying to get that number one seed. Right. Uh, you know, if Pittsburgh stumbles up somehow, that's two losses in a row. Mm-hmm. Minnesota's in the mix for one of these spots. If they continue to keep winning, they might get a wild card spot with the Bucks coming up. That's their next game. That's their next game. So you start looking at it and you're going, well, they got Atlanta twice. Correct. Raheem Morris is not trying to move. He's trying to keep his house and redo his yard. They're 4-2 so with him. It's then. like... Okay, these next three out of four games is not going to be a cakewalk. I don't give a damn who you got at quarterback. And and so now as you start to look at it, you go, well, you know, hmm, <laughs> you just never know. Atlanta's always a tough out for the Tampa Bay Bucks, no matter who's coaching. So when you look at it, it's like, ooh-wee, this is, this is an opportunity where things get real sticky along the way. You get that win against Detroit in between those four games, okay, but Atlanta and Minnesota could be a wild card for you. Key, I know we talked with Dan Orlovsky about their defense and how they played man-to-man. Obviously lost, lost Tyreek Hill a ton on that coverage. But how about their offense? How come it feels like when I watch Tom Brady and company, they're so one-dimensional? Like if you're, if you're taking a page out of, the Oakland, uh, out of the Las Vegas Raiders playbook when they played against the Chiefs, right? Josh Jacobs, pound the ball, play action, have Derek Carr do things. It seems like when I watch Tom Brady – they're very one-dimensional. You don't see, and I know they were behind, but you don't see Ronald Jones pound the ball. You don't see Leonard Fournette. What happened to all the hype about them running the ball? It just seems like you know what they're going to do offensively, and you're asking Tom Brady to do things at this stage of his career that he just can't do as efficiently anymore. Well, one of the things that you got to look at is the defensive side of the ball for Kansas City came to play against that offense. They really did. They harassed them for the most part all day long. And one thing that we continue to say about Tom Brady is if you start to hit him, knock him down and play around his legs, he gets the itchy feet. He starts to move happy feet, move around a little bit more. Interception, ball off the helmet of the defender, of 
the I think it was the defender. It was off either the defender or one of his players. But when that ball ricocheted off the helmet, that's because Brady, he's seen ghosts. He was like, oh, I got to get rid of it. He got rid of it. Boink, doink, interception. Those sort of things are speeding up for him. Now, when you look at the offense as a whole, I think, and I don't know this 100% just from my eyes watching them this year, it looks like to me they haven't implemented a lot of the same things that Brady did well with New England into their offense. It's like Mm -hmm. Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich are calling plays that they call with Jameis Winston and every other quarterback they've ever had, whether it was in Arizona or Indianapolis, opposed to what Brady has done well in um, New England outside of getting the ball to Gronkowski. When you think about it, the shorter stuff, the Julian Edelman stuff, the return routes, the the things, the little option routes, all of those sort of things are not in this offense. I'm not seeing that. What I'm seeing is a lot more vertical stuff. Mm. Um, you know, yeah, throwing the ball and the check down to backs out of the backfield, they did it in New England. A lot of offenses have that. That's just naturally built in. But then when you go back and you think about some of the things that has happened where you look at, Guys blitzing off of the head and the receivers not breaking the routes and Brady's anticipating or or waiting for you to do those sort of things. That's not what they do in their offense. And and because New England was doing that for Brady for so long, it was like second nature for him. It's his offense. He built the offense over 20 years. I mean, it's like he could do these things blindfolded. When you go to side adjustments and you think about it as far as a receiver goes, and I heard Tony, and I, w- I wanted to call Tony Romo last night because he was saying that receivers didn't break off the balls right on side adjustments and hot routes because it's just not something that the receivers know. In every offense that I've ever been in, the first thing you're taught is the side adjustment. If somebody comes off your head and it's not protected, you sight and you look for it. These are the things that they need to get on page with. You know, they need to get on the same page as understanding that guy's coming off my head. There's a side adjustment there. Brady's anticipating somebody to break. They don't do it. Therefore, it creates an interception. It just seems like there's a major power struggle, a power play in Tampa Bay between Bruce Arians and Tom Brady. If it was Tom Brady bringing in Gronkowski, if it was him bringing in Antonio Brown, if it was Bruce Arians saying, well, actually, I'm the one that kind of makes those decisions beforehand. Bruce Arians giving shade to Tom Brady and Key – if what you're saying is correct, that's fascinating because what great coaches do is they mold their offense to the personnel, right? Think about disciples of Bill Belichick. When you think about Mike Braber, when you think about Brian Flores, Joe Judge, they have built their offenses due to the personnel that they have. That's why they're having somewhat success. I know they're not as comparable with expectations, but it just seems like Bruce Arians is missing the mark here, understanding how to utilize Tom Brady properly. I don't know why that is. It just seems like to me, and I go back to what I said at the beginning of the season when Brady struggled against the New Orleans Saints, you look at the interception rates with the first-year quarterbacks under Bruce Arians, whether he's the head coach, whether he's the offensive coordinator, or simply a quarterback coach. They are alarming in one's careers. Like Tom Brady's on pace to throw the most interceptions ever. Right, And you look at some of the other guys that have played under him, most interceptions ever under him. Mm. And they get away from him, and those interceptions kind of go away. Or are they with him a second or a third year, those interceptions kind of go away. But in the first year, it's like, what is it, biscuit, uh, risk it, biscuit, or whatever he no said? No risk it, no biscuit. Yeah, that ain't going to work, though. That's Arians' Yeah, that's not, that's not going to work. And, and for so much, it's like, 
Jameis Winston threw 30 picks, man. 5,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, 30 picks. If Brady comes in and he shaves half of that off, Mm -hmm. they should be 12 and 4. He's going to shave half of it off. And they probably have the same record. How about that? It's crazy. And not and, make the playoffs. And Jameis Winston is a not chance, playing. And, and a chance of <laughs> not making and a chance of not making the playoffs. Indeed. Wow. They sit in the sixth spot right now. This year, obviously, seven teams in each conference. We're asking Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin Nation on Twitter. Simple question, whether the Bucs will make the playoffs. 68% of you have said yes. P. DeLuca 14, thanks for hitting us up there at P. DeLuca 14. Hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Said, make it. Too much talent on offense and defense if they don't. Arians should be fired. To be continued. Big game against (laughs) Minnesota. He's got a two-year deal. So we'll see what happens. He's actually got to deal a little longer than Tom Brady's. Um, Mm. We mentioned this as we're going to have our college football playoff insider Heather Dinich here join us in a moment. The conventional wisdom is, and unless something crazy happens, but it's 2020, so something crazy certainly could happen, that you need to play six games in order to qualify for the Big Ten championship game. Ohio State sitting there right now at 4-0. They have two games left against Michigan State and Michigan. That would get them to six. However, loophole. There is a loophole that has been discovered here in the last several days in which a team that does not play six games can actually qualify for the league championship game, even though the league has mandated six games. Here's only the only last several days, or was this in the fine print at the beginning? Well, I think it, the, initially it was put in in October about the six games, but I think a lot of people were just hoping beyond hope that the situation wouldn't get worse, that Ohio State wouldn't have to cancel against Maryland, and Nebraska wouldn't have to cancel, and Wisconsin wouldn't have to cancel, and Purdue wouldn't have to cancel. So it was so, an amendment. Yes, it's okay. one of those things. Where Rutgers they got a at. chance. <laughs> well, not yet. Maybe, maybe next year. But I like the way you think. Um, but, but basically, what they've said is it's a simple numbers game. If you add up all of the games, this is how it could change from six. If you add up all the games that are played in the Big Ten Conference, minus the ones that are canceled, the ones that are actually played, round them all up, divide that number by fourteen because there are fourteen teams in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is great. So that would be the average number of games per team, right? Total games, fourteen teams. What's the average number of games every team's playing? If you do that math, total number of games divided by 14, and that number is under six, then you can get in by playing less than six games. Here's the math, though. There are 14 games left in the Big Ten season. Seven Saturday, seven the next Saturday. If you do the advanced math, they would say that if 12 of those 14 games are missed, which is unlikely, remember how big the Big Ten is. Far east is Jersey, where Jay and I are from. Far west is Nebraska. That's a huge footprint. But if 12 of those 14 games that are remaining are missed under 12. any circumstance. 12 of the 14. 12, a lot. You're asking for a That's lot there. A lot. If you get 12 of the 14, then they would hit the threshold where you go below six. So it could happen. Not likely because that would be an unbelievable rash of games that would have to be thrown out. And remember, there's no bye weeks in the Big Ten. There's no extra weeks. So postponements are not happening. If it can't be what, played, it's can't. Why have a what's number? The, what's the hottest hot spots right now in the Big uh the Big Ten. Well, Wisconsin has just built a field hospital for the state, so that continues to be a raging pandemic in that particular area of the country. Cases also flaring up here in the tri-state area, which we all live. That would be New Jersey uh, as well. But I would say Wisconsin is probably at the top of that list at the moment. We'll have to wait and see. Let's welcome in the college football playoff insider, Heather Dinich. Playoff rankings edition two comes out tomorrow night on ESPN, and she joins us on the Shell Pennzoil performance line. Okay, it was a crazy weekend, Heather. I mean, what? <laughs> just another crazy weekend in college football. What's your biggest takeaway as we now head towards the end of the regular season and the second ranking show tomorrow night? 
Well, I think the biggest takeaway is that it's going to be status quo at the top. I don't see a lot of things that happen to shake things up this particular Tuesday night. I'm curious to see if BYU can get a bump this week and at least get into that New Year's Six range within the top 12. But also, I mean, I'm sure you guys watched Texas A&M. They should have scored 50 points. I mean, (laughs) I realize that they didn't play in a couple of weeks, but LA you man they can't protect their quarterback they can't catch the ball and then you know what I think Texas A&M was like two of 16 three of 16 on third down they just have to be more productive offensively down the stretch here if they're going to be taken seriously in that number five spot when you look at it Heather Ohio State game was canceled against Illinois this week if Ohio State somehow the next two weeks can't play and they get to the max six games and not play in the Big Ten Championship, but are eligible for the CFP. How would the committee look at that? That's a good question. So if what we have to remember is that everyone in the Big Ten is playing the week of the Big Ten Championship game, even if you're not in that Big Ten Championship title game, right? So there is the possibility that they don't play against Michigan State. They beat Michigan. They're 5-0. and And then they get lined up against a respectable opponent on that Champions Week, and let's say they play Iowa, right, and they, they win that game, so they're 6-0 and without a title, they would be regarded by the selection committee the same way as an independent or any other team that doesn't have that conference championship game tiebreaker. Remember, when you finish the season and punctuate it with a conference championship in the eyes of the selection committee, that's one of the tiebreakers that they use to decipher between comparable teams. So Ohio State at 6-0 and would be compared in exactly the same way as Notre Dame if Notre Dame loses to Clemson in the ACC championship game, as BYU without a conference title game, as Alabama if it loses to Florida in the SEC. That's another data point. It's obviously one Ohio State wouldn't have, but I think we also have to remember as we sit here today on Monday morning, Ohio State still doesn't know if it's going to play at Michigan State. They have not close the door on that. They're waiting for their Sunday test results. Um, and they're trying to make sure that the people who tested negative don't turn into positive and they cross those two thresholds that would force them to pause for seven days. Heather, the one thing that we've learned with consistency in 2020 is expect the unexpected. So with that being said, why would the Big Ten put a minimum number of conference games in order to uh, you know, be able to get to the Big Ten championship? Why would they do that? Well, there's a couple of reasons, and and it's important to point out that the Big Ten is not the only conference that's doing this. The Pac-12 has a very similar protocol set up for their league. The MAC, you have to play three games. You have to play three games in the MAC because they're only playing six. So they say, look, you've got to play at least half your games in order to qualify for our conference championship game. And it's important to remember who made this decision, guys. The athletic directors, in conjunction with the head coaches in the conference, in collaboration with the football championship game administrators. So this isn't something that Kevin Warren mandated from the top. Oh, no, no, no. This was the athletic directors, the coaches, and administrative officials for that championship game. They did it because... Even back in the summer, when they announced a 10-game schedule, they had originally thought you should be you have to play 7 of 10, 75% of your games. And they did it because what happens if you get a team that plays that goes 9-0 and and you have an Ohio State that goes 5-0? and How is that fair, right? So they, their intent was to say, look, 
you got to at least play this many games to be considered a champion in our conference this year. Heather Dinich, uh, ESPN's college football playoff senior writer, joining us here on Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Zubin. Heather, on the other side of the Big Ten, Michigan is 2-5, and five, and their former national championship quarterback in Brian Greasy tweeted, enough is enough this past weekend on Saturday. What is Jim Harbaugh's future like in Ann Arbor? We're hearing a lot of noise, obviously. Right. Yikes, man. Yikes. And, you know, it's it's so difficult to justify paying him over $7 million right now, considering the product that's been on the field. And on top of that, try to recruit during this. I mean, you, you would think opposing coaches are having an absolute field day with this. I don't know how. I don't know how they can um, – bring him back. Now, that being said, it's not my decision. It's not my wallet. But you would think that behind the scenes, those boosters who are paying for those, helping pay for those overseas trips, I would imagine, um, are are having a voice in this, right? And money talks. So then the question becomes, if they do part ways, either amicably, and, and he goes to the NFL, or it's a messy divorce, then who do you turn to, right? And and obviously the hot names, I think, are Matt Campbell. He's always one of the top um, coaching choices out there whenever you see this coaching carousel get started. And, of course, Luke Fickle, who's done a great job at Cincinnati. You know, I don't know the ins and outs of their specific contracts. Um, I'll be quite honest. I don't know the buyout status for Jim Harbaugh as I sit here talking about it. But when you see what he has not done on the field, I think that it time for a change and when Brian Greasy starts talking about it that's when the sirens are going off if you Luke Fickle though Heather you can't take that job Ohio State guy yeah it's a team up north (laughs) I know I know isn't that it's it's strange how that works but um who's on um Ed Ed Warner as is on Michigan's staff and he was an Ohio State guy we've seen these crisscross things before they like to keep it quiet though (laughs) and it didn't happen (laughs) Heather what was your reaction to Sarah Fuller Oh, my gosh. Guys, how awesome. How awesome. Not only was I so impressed with her poise and how she made history and just her composure, but she realizes she's so cognizant of the fact that young women and and girls are looking up to her, and she has embraced it, and she has rolled with it. And I said it was a teaching moment, not just for young women to see that they can do this too, but for, for boys and for men. I have three boys, and I said, you watch this. Look at this. The girls can do anything, too, and don't you guys forget it. (laughs) Great stuff. It was a history-making moment for sure. If you're unfamiliar with the name, there was so much happening this weekend. She became the first woman in college football history, excuse me, to play in a Power 5 conference game for Vanderbilt. She was a great player on Vanderbilt's soccer team, excellent soccer team down there in Nashville for the Commodores, and now she puts her place in college football lore after just one game. Heather, I did want to tell you, against my will, I was forced to try some pumpkin pie <laughs> with the Cool Whip. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. I just wanted to oh tell you Oh, my gosh. Listen, I have to tell you this. like I'm crazy right now, but I'm telling you, it wasn't bad. <laughs> you absolutely jinxed me because this is the first Thanksgiving that I had that I was in charge of food because we didn't go to my parents. And so I have actually never been the one to make the pumpkin pie before. And I thought, oh, you – I thought <laughs> – I thought you pulled it out of the freezer and you just let it thaw and then you ate it, right? Mm -hmm. Well, apparently you have to put it in the oven and bake it. And 
I didn't know that. So my pumpkin pie was dripping all over our floor. <laughs> so we had Cool Whip. All right, all right. Heather Dinich, mother oh, of three. Key's giving me the weird look. College football insider. No, you, you, He's you, questioning you, me. No, you're fine. You're fine. I get it. You, you have to. My, you have to appease everyone. I get it. I understand. My my dad. My dad said, "What do you mean? You just put it in the oven?" I was like, "You know that." <laughs> <laughs> So we got her as a mom, an insider, but not a sous chef. She's got to, she's not perfect. She's got to work on it. She's got to work on it. Heather, we'll watch tomorrow night, see what happens with round two of the rankings, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Heather. Thanks, guys. Uh, Jay, uh, never ceases to amaze me, but it's okay. <laughs> I want to mention what? Hey, man. I, I had to. It's I, all I, good, I got, I got asked to try it. I was going to hey, try it. All good pumpkin pie, Seinfeld. What else? Oh, Just let me know. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. Let me know. Yeah, let, me, let me know what else, man. <laughs> Shake and bake, too? You do shake, shake and bake? And bake. <laughs> <laughs> no, not shake and bake. Oh, you guys got it with the soundtrack. Vel- Velveeta, Velveeta macaroni and cheese? No, I mean, no. <laughs> Stop. You guys are too much. Yeah, well, Great stuff. Sarah Fuller, as you might imagine by her history-making performance, was more driven than any other college football player this weekend. More driven brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear. More driven. I want to just mention one stack, as you mentioned, Ohio State. Heather mentioned BYU. And this is important to know. BYU sits at 14th. How can they make the playoff? How can it happen? Yes, it's going to be very, very difficult since they're not in a Power 5 conference. Just want to mention, very first college football rankings ever, 2014, very first one that ever came out, Ohio State won the national championship that year. You might remember they beat Oregon yeah, in the championship. Oregon. I was there. Right, Okay. Where do you think they were ranked in the very first edition of 14. the college football playoff rankings? 14. 16. I was going to say, so they, it's they possible. were low. So it's possible, right? I mean, Ohio State went from 16 to champion. I understand there's less rankings this year, different sort of year, but just something to keep in mind. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, protecting small businesses with specialized coverages for commercial vehicles. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Zoom On the in. way, yes. BYU's not beating Alabama. I understand. I understand. <laughs> just, just so that... We all are clear here. The key, though, is to Even get without Nick Saban coaching. Correct. The key is to get into the top 12 for them, and then they'll be playing on New Year's Day. That's the best reasonable expectation they could have. A reasonable question at the beginning of the season could never be, does Tom Brady regret signing with the Bucks? Mm. We'll get into that. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric e-bikes today. The number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus! Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C 
ebikes.com. He went all the way to his left, but didn't go completely to the sideline. He stepped up in the pocket that was created on the move and delivered a laser to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek smart enough to realize, oh, I'm not going out of bounds. I'm just going to fall down right here. Every to time- go left, though, not to go right. With a right-hand quarterback, it's crazy. Zubin, every time I watch Patrick Mahomes play, I, I sit there and I think, oh, that's, that's Stephen Curry. Like, it, it's two guys who are just changing the dynamics of how you play this game. It's changing the dynamics of how I see the quarterback position, very similar to how Steph changed the dynamics on the basketball court. There's probably maybe three quarterbacks, maybe four quarterbacks right now in the National Football League that I would be comfortable sprinting them to the left and having them throw the football. Maybe three to four of them. Who? Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, that I could, off the top of my head, mm. and maybe Kyler Murray. Mm. Wow. He said this morning, even his incompletions are starting to look incredible with regards to just some of the things with the degree of difficulty. Yeah, he, he, he threw that one incomplete that I was talking about across the middle with a receiver, in my opinion, would have snatched it out the air, but the defender kind of got it, got his hands in between the ball and the hands and batted it down, but it was – a crazy throw. That it was. Quick couple stats, 269 yards receiving for Tyreek Hill. Mitch Holtis, the voice of the Chiefs, mentioned the first quarter, one of the greatest first quarters in NFL history, any single quarter, 203 yards receiving in the first quarter, in the fourth and perhaps final meeting between Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. Let's go to the Shell Pennzoil performance line and welcome in Jeff Darlington, ESPN NFL insider. Jeff was at the game yesterday and he joins us this morning on Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin. I guess the only place to start here, Jeff, is with some of your reporting and some of the comments from Arians and some of the body language from Brady. Uh, is he in, uh, in any way, shape or form regretting this move? Tom Brady? So that's an easy one. No, he's not regretting it at all. He actually loves Tampa. He loves the lifestyle. That is actually maybe to some surprise to some people, uh, a real priority for Tom Brady. The um, the one thing that he also really likes about Arians is that there is no BS. And you can take that for what you want, whether it's not necessarily intended to be a shot at New England, but there are certain aspects that are very difficult to deal with when you're playing ball in New England. Now, does that mean um, that it translates to less wins? I guess that ultimately is what uh, we have to find out. And we also have to find out how that, how less wins ultimately impacts Tom Brady's happiness. But no, he does not regret being in Tampa. In fact, uh, he finds he finds it to be uh, quite refreshing. The question becomes, can they turn some of this potential uh, into reality in Tampa? Living in Tampa is not a bad thing for sure, Jeff. That's <laughs> been there, done that. Um, right. When you look at it, though, this offense has no consistency and continues mm-hmm. to struggle. You were at the game why is this though? Why why are they struggling? So and that's and that's to to kind of layer on the the last question. Like to me, that's the wonder: is how long can Brady go before he starts maybe asserting himself more? Because Bruce Arians can say that Tom, as he said last week in the press conference, that like Tom is calling a lot of his own plays. That's not the same thing as Tom having an impact on on the game plan, like. You know, a check with me or whatever, whatever you want to call it, where Tom has an option to call one of a few plays in the huddle is not him, like, impacting the game plan or exactly what plays get called when. And that is the question. 
when are the Bucks, if this continues to look kind of out of sync and misaligned, are they going to maybe incorporate Tom's input uh, midweek to kind of do things that he's more comfortable with? Because here's the thing. Like, we talk about deep passing. Deep passing was better yesterday, right? But it's been pretty horrible to this point. Going into yesterday, Brady was completing 30% of his deep passes for 20 yards or more. He had three touchdowns to four interceptions. The worst of his career, really. The thing is, he's also throwing way more. In 2007, when he had Randy Moss, he had 18 fewer deep passes through week 11 than he has this season. So, like, to me, it's like, it's not about trying to get the deep ball fixed. It's about throwing less of them and doing what Tom Brady does best, which is utilizing running backs and tight ends. To this point, they're not doing that. And that, to me, is proof that this is still very much Bruce Arians' offense trying to sort of put Tom Brady into it. And, and I don't think that that necessarily is the recipe for success. Let me ask you this, though, Jeff, and I, and I know you don't have the answer to it, but I'm going to ask you anyway because you may have a tidbit. Why, though? Yeah. Why, why is it taking so long? Because every quarterback in every organization that I've ever been with, know. during the course of the week, what do you want to run? That quarterback is asked, what, do you, what are you yeah. comfortable with and what do you want to run? Why not in Tampa with Bruce Aarons and Byron Leftwich? So, so I, I, from what I understand, Tom is, is giving them plays that he thinks that they should be running. It's just that in the game, it, it kind of gets away from him. I, I can't explain that. To your point, I can't necessarily answer that question. But there definitely feels like that's where – if that's where – I don't think Tom Brady cares at all about the, the stuff that Bruce Arian says in press conferences. In fact, I know he doesn't. I know he finds it to be amusing, if nothing else. But where the frustration, I think, will begin to set in is, to your point, if Brady starts in the middle of the week saying, like, this is what I'm comfortable with, and then in the middle of the game on Sunday, in his headset, he's not hearing any of that, that, to me, is what will fuel the frustration far more than some comments made in the media. So I don't know the answer to your question, but I do know that that question is exactly what could lead to trouble in Tampa. Mm. Jeff, let's talk about some MVP candidates here. Uh, you know, I think it was around week six or week seven. I said, look, Patrick Mahomes is going to win MVP. This yeah. is hands down. Why is he exponentially better than any other MVP candidate? I mean, you know, it's funny. Jay will you're saying he's Steph Curry. And the, the, the first thing I thought when you said that is he ain't Steph Curry. He's Michael Jordan. Mm. I mean, like, I'm with you guys. What you were talking about, there was something that happened yesterday. He was backpedaling to Keyshawn's point. Like, he was backpedaling and threw across his body in the wrong direction. And it was a laser. It was a strike. And I, I just the, – the fact that this guy is putting together not only the physical skill sets to accomplish freakish things, but also mm. clearly has the mental capacity to put himself in situation to succeed. I, like, I just don't think that we've seen anything like this. And I know it feels like hyperbole, but at some point – I would imagine that's what they said about Michael Jordan, that we've never seen anything like this. And, and to me, I, I think that maybe he'll probably face – who was it? Someone had a funny line, like – maybe it was Greenberg who said, like, we should just change the MVP trophy to the Patrick Mahomes trophy so we don't feel obligated every year to give it to Patrick Mahomes. That's what it's going to feel like to me. Because Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion – I know we talked about Ross being the MVP for, for the first, like, six weeks of the season – Patrick Mahomes, to me, is the MVP of the NFL. Yeah, yeah, he, he certainly has passed him 
up as far as I'm concerned, Jeff. No doubt. Could have been. We'll have to wait in hindsight five, ten years from now. If yesterday was some sort of passing of the torch moment where two of the greatest, one that's going now and one that will certainly go down as the GOAT, met ships in the night. Tampa reference there with the Bucks. Sorry, had to do it. <laughs> and the fact that it could be their fourth and final meeting. We'll have to wait and see. Jeff, thanks for the insight. Really appreciate no, it. No, hold on, Jeff. Right, what do you got? What do you got? Hey, how much pumpkin Four pie times. did you have? Oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> Man, I'm more of an apple pie guy. All right, <laughs> <laughs> All right JD. Well, I crushed some apple pie. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. I'm guessing that was uh, right out of the oven, hot little scoop of ice cream. Right, right. You can do apple pie out of the refrigerator. Right. You, yeah, you'll be fine. Too right. big. Right. Hey. <laughs> Keyshawn J. Will Zubin presented by Progressive Insurance. On the way, the Raiders laid a huge egg yesterday. Huge. But what? recent history seems to indicate that's exactly what was going to happen. We'll explain. That's next on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit... Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. That on ESPN 850 WKNR. The Browns are for real. You know, yesterday's game with Cleveland featured a team that has lost 10 in a row, hasn't won since week one, and normally that team, of course, would be the Browns. But, but in this particular case, it's the Jaguars who are now 1-10. and 10. They also fired their general manager, Dave Caldwell, so they're looking to start over. The Browns' reboot and restart has been quite all right <laughs> this year with Kevin Stefanski. You remember it had that week one debacle. They look as bad as they've ever looked. They've turned it around. They're 8-3 and three for the first time since 1994 when Bill Belichick was their coach. They were 11-5 and five that year. Yesterday's win was also their eighth of the season, which means, Key, they have clinched a non-losing season. Obviously, the worst they can be is 8-8. Eight and eight. They have clinched a non-losing season for the first time since 2007. And the playoffs certainly look, obviously, with the Steelers winning the division, the wild card certainly looks like they're in great shape. And, and within reach. And I got them, I got them in a 10-win season plus. I, I just... You know, originally I thought that they would win the division. If you go back and you research our show, I said that the Browns are going to win the division. I didn't know the Steelers would be playing as well as they played, but then obviously I'm taken back by that. But I'm still satisfied and happy with the Browns if they make the wild card. Think about it, though. What in the hell, in all honesty, in a year's time, eight wins in a year's time, two years ago, Hugh Jackson out, Greg Williams in as the interim coach, Mm -hmm. Offensive play caller, Freddie Kitchens. Season ends, 
you got a chance. John Dorsey has a chance to hire all these different people. The old GM. The old general manager. What made him wake up the next day and think or sleep and go, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to hire Freddie Kitchens as our coordinator, or as our head coach, and have him call plays. I, I just, I, I, and I always say this, I don't understand how these guys go about doing their jobs when they've been in the league so long, but you hired Freddie Kitchens when Kevin's the guys like Kevin Stefanski are out there in the universe to hire as your head coach. They go and they hire him. Now you look back at it, you're like, why did they ever hire John in the first place to be the general manager? Because clearly they got, they've gotten it right. You look at Baker Mayfield yesterday, he was 19 to 29, 253 yards, two touchdowns against the Jags and no interceptions. Recipe for success, not disaster. I, I just want everybody to keep the same energy because the energy around Baker Mayfield was that, well, he's number one pick. He's not living expectations. He's not going to be the guy long term. This is a run team first. All these things could be true. I understand. But, Key, you, you made mention of this, and it is so pivotal. You just got to keep going, forge through, and be patient. Now they're in a wild card position. He played extremely well yesterday. Yes, Nick Chubbs, Kareem Hunt, they're incredible running backs. They, they are going to play that way. Give Kevin Stefanski a lot of credit. But still, Baker Mayfield has showed you with the right system that he can be successful, even though expectations may not be he's no longer the savior, the Patrick Mahomes, but it is something serviceable. I mean, ask the Chicago Bears. I'm sure they would love to have Baker Mayfield as their quarterback. Well, or better yet, have Kevin Stefanski as their head coach because it's more the head coach than it is Baker Mayfield, Jay in terms of putting him in a position to succeed and not a position to fail. And I think that that is the most important thing that we got to look at is he's not asked to carry it. Although when you're selected as the number one overall pick, and particularly at quarterback, individual people out there believe that you're supposed to throw the ball all over the lot. You're supposed to do all these sort That's of things. That's not true, right? Keith? It's not true. I wouldn't have never selected Baker Mayfield as the number one overall pick what? because I'm now forcing myself to have to do exactly what I said. Throw the ball all over the place because he's the number one overall guy. In this system and what they're doing in Cleveland, he didn't have to be the number one overall pick. If Kevin Stefanski in this regime and Barry, the general manager, was selecting the number one overall pick three years ago, I can almost guarantee you it wouldn't have been Baker Mayfield because of their philosophy and what they want to do. But, Key, in in drafts, and let me know how it is in football – how many times do we see the number one pick just come in and dominate right out of the gate? Like dominate. Regard, doesn't system have something to do with whether you're going to be dominant or not? Like, I'll probably, prime example, yeah. I was second pick in the draft. We played the triangle. Like my system wasn't conducive with the way I played. By the time I got halfway through the season, I had to learn a whole new system, right? So system does have something to do with how successful you're going to be. It, it, it does, but to justify you being the number one overall pick at quarterback, people assume when you take a guy that high that everything has to be built around him, throwing the ball everywhere, opposed to being a sort of kind of like a game manager type. A key, a key cog. That he is. Yeah. And he's not going to make the mistakes they're going to win. Mm. But I'm not putting him in a 40, drop back 40 times. I don't have him in an empty set, which he was in college. Hugh Jackson, former head coach, was on with us a couple weeks ago or a week or so ago, and Hugh said that Baker Mayfield would have more and better success if he was in shotgun. 
That's not true because it ain't about Baker having success. It's about the team having success. It's about us getting to the playoffs and winning. And if that means that we're going to play action pass it, we're going to run the hell out of the football, and he can make some throws here and there, and we're going to win, that's all I care about. It's the Kirk Cousins model in Minnesota. It's the uh, a model of a guy who could be this solid quarterback the early stages of Tom Brady with the New England Patriots when they won two Super Bowls, dominant defense, Antoine Smith and Corey Dillon at the running back spots, that's how they won. They didn't win on Brady throwing 50 times a game. But when you draft a guy high, everyone assumes that that's how you have to do things, and you don't. He just wouldn't have been drafted as a number one overall guy with those guys in the building. I'm just saying there are a lot of drafts that I've gone through where you look at some of the top picks, and it's only rare, like out of the top ten picks, like only 30% pan out well, in the NBA, it's right? All, so just because you're number one, number two pick, depending, up, yeah, depending upon what draft you're in, absolutely. doesn't mean that you're going to automatically be successful. Man, absolutely, Zubin, because people expect when you go high that you're supposed to do certain things. Even in my own career, being a number one overall pick, I got great numbers. I put my numbers up with anybody, especially at the time that I retired. But I played with 18 different damn quarterbacks. Mm. (laughs) So it's like I didn't have Steve Young my entire career or Steve Young and Joe Montana or Tom Brady and and Peyton Manning. I kind of had to play with what they gave me, and it, it becomes hard. No question. Keyshawn J. Wills, you've been brought to you by Indeed. Are you hiring? We need Indeed. Indeed immediately delivers quality candidates from our resume database when you upgrade your job post. It's that simple. Receive a $75 sponsored job credit on your first post at Indeed.com slash credit terms and conditions apply. One more game before we pull down the curtain on this week of the NFL. Like Seahawks, Packers, Lou, excuse me, Seahawks, Eagles. Lou Riddick will be here coming up at 9.30 a.m. Thanks for listening to Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. You can hear the show live weekdays at 6 Eastern on ESPN Radio, ESPN News, or wherever you stream your audio.